The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Today we are talking about money mindset and forgiving your financial past. And I am so thrilled to be joined by Jamie Troll, who is my personal finance coach, uh, my personal business finance coach, not my personal finance coach. <laughs> be clear. I got you. <laughs> Um, although, you know, anything you would tell me to do with my personal finances, I would probably follow and they'd be brilliant too. <laughs> I mean, they're really interconnected, right? Amen. At the end of the day. So, um, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience and say a little bit more about who you are, how you got here and what you do. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Rena. I'm so excited to be here. So I'm Jamie Troll. I have a lot of different titles that I use, so I'll just give them all to you. <laughs> So I'm a CPA, so a certified public accountant. That's probably the most boring of all the titles, but there's some credibility behind it. So I will use that. But I'm also a financial literacy coach and a profit strategist. So I couldn't decide on one thing. So I'm multiple different things um, depending on the capacity, but overall I'm an online educator. So um, I originally, I was in the corporate world for a long, long, long time and then switched and was really passionate about working with uh, female run small business owners. So that was really where I started and it kind of happened over time. I'd love to say that was my plan to begin with, but that just happened to be um, who my original one-to-one -one clients were as a virtual CFO in my business. And then I realized how much passion I had towards serving um, that group of people. So that became who I serve, not necessarily exclusively, but that does tend to be the majority of my audience. And so now um, I realized there was a really big hole in just the uh, financial education, accessible, easily understood, shame-free financial education for small business owners, entrepreneurs, side hustlers, anybody who is looking to make some money, right, and doing their own thing. Because what's out there just maybe doesn't resonate with um, a lot of people. And it didn't resonate with me. And it didn't resonate with a lot of the other uh, female-run businesses, owners that I knew. And so I just decided, okay, I'll step into this role and I'll teach. It wasn't anything I set out to do, but I just realized that that was a way I could affect more people than just working one-to-one. -one. It's great, but you can't affect as many people as you can when you have a platform and you're able to share uh, a message in a, in a bigger scale. So that's kind of what I ended up doing now, I guess, flash forward a couple of years later, I do digital courses and programs to teach uh, business owners how to manage their finances. And I love how devoted you are to women entrepreneurs in particular. And it's a very, um, all of your information is incredibly accessible and not saying that women are stupid because we all know that we're brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. But I want to know, I know the answer to this. I know you know the answer to this. Let's make it explicit. Why is finance a feminist issue? 
Oh my gosh, there are so many things, Renee. There are so many things. Because just like with anything else, I think a lot of, first of all, I think a lot of women start a business for a variety of reasons, but part of it is maybe frustration with the lack of equity within the workplace. I know that that was part of it for me. I'm not saying anything negative about my former employer, but it was the typical, you know, environment that we're used to where, um, especially in finance, my goodness, being a woman in finance and in finance leadership at a fortune 100 company, it's, it can be difficult being the only person, you know, only woman sitting at the table. Right. And so I always felt like I had to work harder. I always felt like, you know, I didn't get, I was never given the benefit of the doubt just by being there. I always had to prove myself. And so part, that was part of the reason, right. That I was like, you know what, there's gotta be a better way. I'm going to do this myself. And I kind of, for a while that I had this internal battle of like, do I disrupt the systems from the inside or do I go outside and do my own thing? And I, I stayed probably longer than I, you know, should have, but partially because I wanted to make a difference for those younger women who were coming up underneath me. Uh, but then I realized that I can make an even bigger difference that so many women are leaving the workforce to take their, to take their destiny into their own hands. But the problem is this, right? So here's the problem. It's amazing that we have this opportunity to do this, but we still have a massive lack of equity. And I will argue it's actually worse in the entrepreneurial world than it is in the traditional world, right? Because we know about like the pay gap. We know about all of this. But when we talk about the pay gap, when it comes to entrepreneurship and when it comes to small business owners, I like stats. I like numbers. So I'll give you a number (laughs) to illustrate my point. So Women own 40% of private sector businesses. So small businesses, right? About 40%, small and medium-sized businesses, 40% are owned by women, right? Either partially um, or in full. Those businesses make up 4% of revenues, 4%. So 40% of businesses, that's, that's like, we're like, okay, we're doing all right. It's not 50, you know, but we're doing okay. But 4% of revenues, meaning we make several times less web revenue than the average, like, you know, male run business. And so it's still an issue. And there's so many reasons for that. Oh my gosh. Like I can't even, you know, we, we could only scratch the surface. There are a lot of different reasons, but for me, why I think finances is a feminist issue is I want to, I, I, I want to break that apart. <laughs> I want to break that apart. I want to put more women into that spot of equity. We already know women are, um, when more economic, you know, power is put in the hands of women, better things happen. They do better things with it. Right. So we need to reclaim that part of the pie as well. And the economic power that comes with it and the power to make change that comes with it. God. Yes. That's what I've been you know, screaming at the top of my little mountain for until I'm blue in the face is that when you put capital into women's hands and, and gender non-conforming people's hands, yep. they can change the world and bring generations out of poverty generations. Yeah. yeah. So absolutely it's incredibly important to me to talk about these things and, and to make money in order to, you know, make an impact for mm-hmm. a more like feminist capitalist system, even though capitalism sucks, but we still have to participate in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And one thing I like about your approach, a million things I like about your approach, but one of the biggest takeaways I took from your course, Financial Fitness Formula, is the profit plan. And (laughs) I was wondering if you can touch a little bit about that and share, you know, some of the lessons that you've had to unlearn in order to create the profit plan. And what are some of the like big takeaways that some of your students and clients have taken from it? Absolutely. So I'll give kind of a little overview of what 
a profit plan is. And a profit plan is really just a plan for managing your money. I feel like one of the things that happens when you get into business and you start to grow your, in the beginning, you're like, okay, you know, you're trying to figure things out, but then you start to have that stream of revenue come in and you're kind of wondering like, okay, what do I, how am I supposed to manage this? Like, what am I supposed to be, you know, what are, what are my expenses supposed to be? What's normal? How much am I supposed to be paying out to pay myself? How much do I need to put aside for taxes? There's so many questions that come in that time zone and it changes over time. But I feel like that's a problem that you have one year in business. That's a problem you have 15 years in business that you're still trying to sort out how do I manage this and how do I make this easier? There has to be a better way, right? So my profit plan actually was something that I was doing in my service-based business. It wasn't something I ever intended on teaching. I didn't create it to teach it. Now I made the little moniker, I will say, like it didn't, it didn't necessarily line up the way that it does now with all the letters meaning something. So it's, um, you know, one of those, one of those things where there uh, is, is, is a meaning behind each letter in profit plan. And there are two Fs, by the way, I know we, we I know we're not, um, normally I have a slide for this. It makes it easier to talk through, but there are two Fs in profit. So just, you know, um, imagine P R O F F I T. And what you're doing is taking a portion of your profits, taking, take, taking your profits, meaning the money you make in your business, minus the general recurring expenses you have, right? So those, those typical expenses that you have in your business to get to kind of that base profit. And then it's figuring out how do I use that profit to further my goals, both personally and professionally, and also further the goals I have and what I want to do with this money on a grander scale. Right. And so what I found was I read a million different books <laughs> in the beginning. Cause even I, I'm like, I, I know numbers, but even I didn't know exactly the best way to manage my finances. And I couldn't find something that worked specifically for me. And I think it was because everything that I read um, was missing like a few key components to where it would really resonate with what I was going for, right? So there, there are, you know, other programs out there that do something similar that we do with the profit plan, which is kind of put money into different buckets. But there were some really important buckets missing for me as a business owner that I also found other people felt like they were missing too. So of course we need to pay ourselves, right? That's what the P is. We'll go really quickly through it. So if you guys want to grab your pen and paper, uh, but we'll go really quickly through it just so you can kind of start to think about here, are all the places that your money is going to go. Um, but you want to pay yourself. That's something that you want to be able to do. You want to do it regularly. You want to have a handle on how much is you can afford to pay yourself, right? And you want to be, you know, uh, thinking about your lifestyle and what you need to pay yourself in order to, you know, sustain your lifestyle, right? That's really important. So P is very, very important. R is rainy day. We know things happen. My goodness, we definitely know things happen over the last couple of years. So we need to be saving for emergencies. That's really important. You essentially want to be saving about one to three months worth of your normal base expenses. That just means that you can still pay payroll. Let's say if you have you know, people on payroll, you want to be able to continue paying them even if sales take a dip or something happens where you're not constantly panicking about not being able to um, pay your people or pay your expenses. The O is for opportunity. And this is one that I thought was missing from a lot of other plans where this is reinvesting and saving to reinvest. So what I mean by that is reinvesting into your business. So not necessarily like stocks and bonds, but you know, when you're making money in your business, how can you kind of um, start to save up that money over time so that you can do bigger things with it and reinvest back into your business, whether that's hiring someone, whether that's doing a program that you want to do, um, whether that's a new marketing campaign you want to do, whether that's buying a new asset that's going to help you be more efficient in whatever you're doing, right? Uh, piece of machinery, something like that. 
But oftentimes what we do instead is we buy those things using tomorrow's money is what I call it. Meaning we buy them on credit card, we buy them with debt, or we like look for kind of these like, you know, uh, short-term loan type situations that a lot of payment processors will give you. And the problem that we're doing there is we're literally taking from our future self rather than paying it with yesterday's money, right? Which makes things so much easier. You know what you can afford. You're not banking on this working, right? <laughs> you are, you're saying, well, I already have this money. I already have this money saved up. I'm saving it in a particular place. So when an opportunity comes up, you know whether you can afford it or not. So the opportunity fund for me as a person who was I was probably on the opposite end of the spectrum of a lot of my clients, although I have a lot of people in this space too, who I never, I never spent money in my business. I didn't, I didn't know what I could spend. I just hoarded it. And my business was absolutely never going to grow. I was never going to hire. I was never going to do any, anything with this money. Um, and so I just hoarded it out of like fear and the scarcity thing, right? So having money set aside that you are meant to reinvest into your business really helps get you creative about, okay, what's really going to move the needle in this business? What's really going to grow my business? Um, so I love opportunity. I'll go through that one super quick. The first F is for future, which is basically paying down debt or retirement. So those are boring, but they're important. <laughs> so we're going to put them in there. The second F is very much less boring. Also the reason we had to have two Fs in profit plan, which is fun. We wanted to make sure that there was room for fun. Um, and that means kind of having a, you know, a fund for yourself, whether you wanna travel or just do something fun in your life that, that brings you that motivation, that brings you joy. We're allowed to have joy. It's not, it's not wrong to do that. Whatever that looks like to you, having a small percentage of your profit that automatically goes to fun is very motivating. I will tell you that it's very, very motivating. The next one it is the I, which is for impact. This is something I felt like was very much missing from basically, actually, I, I never read a single book. Now, were they all written by men? Yes, yes, they probably were, but I never read a single finance book that talked about impact from a financial perspective. And the fact that, as we were talking about earlier, Renee, you can make such a difference with the money that you make in your business. And I know that you give a portion of your sales. I do that as well. And that's, we're, I'm a very mission driven. Yes, it's a for-profit business, right? We are making a profit, but it's mission driven. And it's a way to be able to make a greater impact. You make a great an impact in what you do, but then you can make an even greater impact by taking the money, a portion of the money that you make and putting it to towards causes that you really care about or organizations that are already doing a really amazing job right? Especially for these mission-driven businesses, which there are so many now, right, Renee? Yeah, we're not, we're not alone. <laughs> yeah, no, there are so many, but no business, no book talked about that. It Nobody's almost felt like if you were a for-profit, you need like, forget about the charitable contributions, or maybe you only do it if you get a tax deduction or something, right? But it's so much bigger than that. And growing our business allows, you know, that's one of the proudest things. One of the things I'm most proud of in my business is our ability to, to give back. And it's built in, it's built into the foundation of how our business runs, right? It's not about what we can afford at a given time. It is built in, you know, similar to, you know, how you build anything else into your profit margins that is built in and it is done. And that is going to happen no matter what. So it's not an emotional decision you know, we get some emotional benefit from it, but it's just something that we do. And that was something I felt like was really missing from a lot of these financial plans. And then the T is for taxes. I hate that the T is at the end. <laughs> I hate like ending on that note, 
but we need to save for taxes. That's something that we have to be prepared for as well as a business owner who are responsible for making sure that our own taxes get paid. Uh, it's not fun, but we got to do it, right? I think of that too as kind of a social equity thing. I mean, we pay taxes That's so we very can have true. roads to drive on so, so our kids true. can go to school. So, you know, like, and the military has a huge budget, but, <laughs> but all the good true. things that yeah. our taxes go to, I try to uh, focus on those a little bit more. You, you are like, at, I, you're dead on. And so few people look at it that way. Cause it's hard to, right. Because it's so personal because it's our money. It's fine for everybody else's money right, <laughs> to right. go towards taxes, but I want to keep my money. But when you can kind of have that perspective with it and understand like, whether you agree with everything or not, or everything where it goes in general, right? Like socially, it's a good thing to have taxes. This place would be kind of a mess if we didn't have any. Exactly. So just, you know, shift your mindset on yes. taxes, I think. Speaking of shifting mindsets, that was an accidental uh, segue. <laughs> but one of the things I showed up to your course with a lot of money baggage, <laughs> you know, growing up, um, it wasn't, I didn't grow up and I know you didn't grow up, you know, wealthy. Um, and so starting a business felt like I was constantly in the scarcity mindset, that I was constantly making the wrong decisions because it mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily something that I was taught growing up is how to manage money in the five and six digits. Right. Um, what are some of the stories that you hear from some of your clients about, and I know I'm not alone here and how has this impacted them? How has it impacted you in terms of rethinking and like shedding this, this shame around business finances in particular? Oh my gosh. I have so many, so many thoughts here, my own and from working with thousands of business owners at this point around their finances, I think that um, there is, there's so much shame. And that's the biggest thing. Like if I could just grab people and be like, just let it go, just let it go because it's not serving you. And that shame, you know, I don't know, I, you know, I read Brene Brown and I understand the difference between guilt and shame, right? Like shame does not serve you in any way. Shame keeps you stuck. Shame is the, like, I'm not good enough, right? You're internalizing it. I'm not good with numbers. I'm not smart enough for this. I'm not. And that's not a, I will tell you, that's not every woman at all, right? There are a lot of women that, that have internalized that for messaging they've heard, but like, you know, the younger generations are like, I don't identify with that at all. Right. Like I never was told like, I'm not good with numbers. I know I'm good with numbers. I just need like the tools and the things like that. But I do think there's still shame over, you know, maybe not taking action sooner. I will tell you, there are so many women that, that graduate from my course and they're like, this was amazing. I'm so glad I did it. And the, the next thing they say is, I wish I had done this years ago, that's but they me. say it in a way that's like, they're like mad at that rather than being so proud of where they are and where they're going, they're focused on like, oh, why didn't I do this years ago? And they're still stuck in that, like blaming, you know, the past we got to be able to put that behind us and take those steps forward or else we're just going to be stuck in this cycle, right? <laughs> of like shame. And what's interesting is there's so much shame around money in general, because a lot of us are raised with it too, right? Um, shame and scarcity, shame and scarcity, shame and scarcity all day long. They show up in different ways. So how that manifests in one person 
might be completely different than how it manifested another person, right? Like some people can, can experience shame and scarcity and become compulsive savers who are like holding on to every little dime. And some people who experience same shame and scarcity are like spenders. Cause they're like, well, you know, if I'm, <laughs> if this is the way it's going to be, you know, but numbers don't matter. What's I don't the point? care. That's yeah. me. Like just whatever, whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, fine. And, It'll come and, back and, to me. and everywhere in the middle. And so it shows up differently, but it tends to be shame and scarcity. And what's really funny is that when you actually look out at who's teaching finances, I'm not going to name names, but the people who are out there teaching finances, let's be honest. Most of them are, you know, white men, um, you know, who are coming from a very specific viewpoint on it. Um, but they almost, and, and especially around the, the, um, place of like personal finances, that's like the, that's like the backbone of what they teach is shame and scarcity, right? Like it's, it's all about that. It's like cut your lattes because you're spending too much. And you know, that's why you can't have nice things because of your lattes when there is so much more to it, right? There's so, there's so much more there. And that makes us feel bad every time we're like, well, but I really want a latte. <laughs> now we have this internalized shame that comes with a freaking coffee, you know? And, and, and so I think that there is so much to let go of in that there's so much like that we've been just inundated with in the finance world that especially is completely untrue when you get into entrepreneurship and small business ownership and you have control over your own paycheck basically, right? Like there are better ways. We know that there are better ways to make more money than to, you know, worry about your lattes. <laughs> because changing your latte consumption is not going to fix these structural no. inequities that no. we all experience if we're not, you know, straight, white, able-bodied, English-speaking Western men. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. There's so much more behind it. And so, um, you know, there, there are part of the way that we do that. And, you know, how, how do we get past it? Right. Like that's always the question of how do we get past it? And it's not an easy answer, right? I mean, there's probably like some therapy that needs to happen in here with qualified professionals. There are, you know, all kinds of things that go into that, but where I come in, where I come in is like, okay, well, I'm going to help with the education that is accessible and understandable and the tools that are needed to be able to make positive change. Right. So, um, I can't necessarily single-handedly take on all the structural inequities, all the fact that capital is much harder to get as a woman owned business, even though we outperform men when we are given capital, <laughs> right? Like all these things. But what I do know is that financial education in the hands of women that make them feel empowered, not guilty, right? That make them feel excited about the possibilities that give them the tools they need to succeed. Those are all things that help us get closer, that help us get out of that 4%. We're going to raise that 4% of revenue. We're going to be, you know, we're going to, we want to be like 70% of businesses and like 90% of revenue. Just kidding. <laughs> but I we see nothing be. wrong with that. We, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But we just have to kind of shed that and, and try to move forward. And I actually, um, in my course, it's funny talking about mindset because the first time I launched my course, I don't know if you know this, it didn't include anything on mindset. We went straight into like, here's how to be the CFO of your own business. Here are the tools you need. Let's talk about profit margins. And by week three, I tell you, everybody was like in this mindset hole, right? Like everybody was spiraling, not because, but just the, all those old messages were resonating yeah. in their heads. And so it was after the first time I launched it, I said, okay, all right, I get it. Like 
we need to start off with something that addresses this because awareness is always the first step, right? If you're unaware of the beliefs you have about money and where they came from and the fact that they don't serve you, like they're going to keep coming up. They're probably going to keep coming up anyway, but you'll recognize them. So that is, if you know, if you spend some time and that's what we do in the first module of my courses, we talk about Let's talk about these money mindset, you know, beliefs that we've had. Let's think about where they've come from. Let's turn them on their head a little bit so that a couple of weeks from now, when it starts creeping back in your mind, you know, that thing your dad told you when you were 15, like if that starts coming back into your mind, you know, to shut it down, you recognize it before it gets to the point of, okay, well, I'm just not gonna, I'm just gonna stop because this, you know, doesn't feel good. So I'm just not going to do it anymore. And instead, now you feel empowered to actually continue to go forward and, and change those previously held beliefs, right? Because that you can't, you have the power to do that. Yeah. I love this realistic approach. The approach that you have is so grounded. It's so it, it, you know, brings together these forces of finance and numbers and accounting and behavioral psychology and structural, structural inequities. And, you know, all of, again, the kind of long trauma that we all have, because let's, let's be real. We all have some sort of kind of monetary financial trauma in our lives somewhere. And I think the biggest lesson that I learned going through it is, you know, you have all of these tools in your course, um, everything from, calculators to, um, journaling exercises. And I can see all of the numbers. Now I understand the story behind those numbers. I'm comfortable with those numbers. I also know that there are changes. I I took your course last fall, right. And I think we ended around November. Does Mm -hmm. that sound right? Okay. Um, I implemented changes after the holidays, right. I raised my prices. I cut some expenses it's hard. It is hard. And you don't sugarcoat that. And I so appreciate that. And it's not fast either. Yeah. Like I'm still having some issues, but I know because I put the plan in place in December, January, February, it's going to come to fruition. And I feel such solace knowing that because I have all of these resources. I have all of these tools. I have all of this understanding now that I didn't have before. And I've been through those courses where we start straight in with like the P and L (laughs) and you know, your assets and all those things. And it's like, Oh, overwhelming. But now I've got kind of a, a toolkit that is more nuanced that I think is missing in the financial world. Yeah. And I think to your point, like realistically, right. I mean, I think we always want quick wins and there are definitely some of those too, but real change is long-term, it's sustaining, it's new habits. And we have, we talk a lot about habits within the course because it is about ingraining things as part, like we can't fix it all overnight, right? But we can set you on the right track and also give you the confidence. Like, I think that that's one thing that changes when you're trying to figure out you know, what do I charge? And we live in this world that everyone's like, charge your worth. And I'm like, well, okay, hang on here. Your worth is like immeasurable. So we can't really charge that. Like we have to charge for the product or service that you are providing. Like, let's start there. But also there is a formula for that, right? Like there's a formula, not for what you as a human are worth, but there's a formula for what you need to charge in order to have profit margins that make sense, that are going to be sustainable, you know, that you can continue to run and scale your business. And, and so your values I, are a part of it too, with the absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think having that 
confidence in knowing like, okay, I know I'm not sitting here in this emotional place. I'm not making decisions based on like fully emotions. Now that, that, that factors in, we need to also like check in with ourselves. Right. But we also need to know the numbers. I talk about it as if like, it's the CEO talking to the CFO. So your CEO typically is like, you know, yeah, let's do the, the big vision. Let's do it. We got this. Like they're, you know, setting out these huge visions and huge ideas. And the CFO kind of gets a bad rap because the CFO is like, all right, like, hang on here. Like, let's look at the data. Right. But, but as a business owner and as an entrepreneur for a long time, we tend to be both of those people. And so when you have one side of you that can be that like visionary, like come up with all the ideas and then have the CFO side sit down and say, okay, let's now run the numbers. When they both agree, that's where like the magic happens, right? Like when the CEO is like, I see the vision, the CFO is like, you know what? The numbers totally support that vision. Like now you can just go run and it's, and you have so much more confidence in what you're doing. You know how to price, you know how much money you have to spend on things. Like you have, you have, you know, the whole plan, the roadmap in front of you. And it just feels so much better than like this kind of willy nilly, like, I don't know, is this the right path? I'm not sure. Like, (laughs) Maybe we need to tweak it, you know? Yeah. Throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. It's not a good approach. And, yeah. and that's what I did right for the first couple of years of my yeah. business. And, and I knew that it was time to get things, uh, on the right path. And I'm so grateful for your brain, <laughs> your brain and your resources and your course in this world. I think it is so necessary. And I, again, I will, I'll say it over and over again. I am so um, lucky that I've got someone like you in my, in my sphere to help me think through these things in a way that's not shameful. That's not, um, incredibly masculine, (laughs) (laughs) um, that allows for nuance that allows for values-based decisions that allows for opportunities and fun. We actually have, you can't see it here. I'm in our office, but on our refrigerator, we actually have a dry erase list of what we want to do um, with that opportunity fund. Oh, so right now it. we want a toaster and we want it. one of those giant notepads. Yes. <laughs> That's how our little wish list over there. I love um, it. That yeah. we will spend with yesterday's money, not tomorrow's money. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have total confidence in it and you're not like, Oh, can I afford this? I don't know. No, go for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I know that you are a reader and as feminist book club, um, question I get a lot are what are some feminist business books? And the truth is there aren't many. Um, and so I would love to know if you've got any book recommendations that are, uh, less, patriarchal, um, anything. And I, I actually got a book from you. So I know that there's at least one. (laughs) What are some of your business book recommendations? Yes. So I, I have a few, I have a few, um, let's see, I'm looking around my office too, to see, to make sure that I don't, there aren't enough. And so that's part of the reason that I have a book on my list of to-dos eventually at some point in time, because there aren't enough around the business sphere. Personal wise, hang on, I got Let's see. Um, the Budget Nista, if you don't know her, she's amazing. Um, Get Good With Money. It's more on the personal side, but it is, it is just well done, straight to the point, like really good stuff in there in a way that makes sense. Um, so that would be one. 
Was she a guest on Queer Eye? I feel like there was. I don't know. I could see that. um, Is she in Atlanta? Uh, (laughs) They brought in like a personal budget person who was a black woman um, for one of their heroes in one episode. Yeah. She's huge. She's absolutely huge. Anyways, we will link that in the show notes. What else you got? Let's see. So which one did I'm trying to remember which one I sent you? Uh, we should all be millionaires. <laughs> yeah, of course. Rogers. Of course. Yeah. Rachel Rogers. We should all be millionaires. Everybody should own that book as well. That is for sure one. Those are the main ones. I actually have um, my friend. I have a friend who is writing a personal finance book right now. So Excellent. I'm excited to see that. Her name is um, Scarlett Cochran. So be on the lookout. She's got an awesome book deal. It's coming. Send her our way. I will. I will. So there, I think there are more, I think it's, um, I think it's changing, right? So like a lot of these, a lot of the business finance books that people really rely on uh, and are quoted a lot, right? And are talked about a lot are ones that, you know, were written a while ago because it takes some time for them to like gain traction, right? And so a lot of them are from white men, right? Like it just, that's what dominates the space right now. But I see it changing and I've seen it changing for the last few years where the more often than not, the the new voices coming in are doing this in a very, very different way. They're often um, women or people of color. They take a very different perspective on things. So I think it's just kind of seeking out you know, more of that. And there are a lot of people, whether they have books or not, you know, there's also people on Instagram that you can follow that are, you know, fantastic in this space. But again, it's largely that, that I am aware of largely around the personal space. So I think there's still a lot more work in the space of business finances to be done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, how can our audience work with you? Because they need to, if they, if you've got a side hustle, if you've got a business, I know you've got a couple of different offerings. I did the financial fitness formula. I can't speak highly enough of it, but I've also been in business for, um, almost four years now. Yep. So it's not for everybody, but can you talk us through some of your offerings? Yes. And hopefully you'll put some links down below that people can click on with a bunch of different things, but I'll, I'll tell you, um, yes, there are a few different things. So financial fitness formula is what Renee did. That's really the strategic side of business that's setting profit margins. Um, that is really like forecasting out. That's, that's all the strategic side of being your own CFO in your business. That's my signature course. So we are opening only one time in 2022 at the end of March. So if you're interested in that, this would be the time to get in, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, but we also have, um, a more introductory program. If you're like, okay, but somebody explain what the heck a PL is, what the heck a balance sheet is what the differences between different entity types are, right? We have uh, a course that is a basics course all about the fundamentals as well that Renee can drop a link to too. So that's called Financial Fitness Basics. So that's a DIY course that's entirely kind of on your own. You get all the material right away and that's available for purchase all the time. Um, so that is a great place to start. And then Financial Fitness Formula is oftentimes the next level or when you're ready for the strategic side. Um, and then we also have for free, cause we talked about the profit plan earlier. If you want to drop a link to, to, um, your profit plan, because you can just grab that for free. So that's a little worksheet that goes over kind of all the, the P, the R, the O, the opportunity fund, all of that within the worksheet. We also have some videos that come with it too. 
So if you're interested in that, that is definitely something that you're going to want to grab as well. So, you know, and if you're not sure, we'll give one more. We're going to give them all. <laughs> the last thing is if you're not sure what's right for you or what the next step is to be more profitable in your business or gain that education, we have a quiz. So there is a quiz that goes over kind of what the next step is for you. It's personalized. So, you know, you'll get one of four outcomes on what the best thing for you to do first is. Cause I know this world of finances feels like huge and you don't even know where the heck to start. So we help to give you kind of the idea of, well, this is one thing that's maybe standing in your way. And if you address this first, that's how you're going to be able to make um, progress towards a more profitable business. So all the links. <laughs> And I will be completely transparent. These are affiliate links. I do yes. earn a small commission on anyone who ends up joining your programs. I wouldn't be here without this program. I wouldn't be in this beautiful space that we have. I wouldn't be on this, on this lovely internet that we share without this program. And so I, yes, it's an affiliate link. It's also a way, a feminist way to make money and do good things with money. Right. So Absolutely. I just want to be transparent. Let's there. spread the wealth around. Exactly. <laughs> and so I'm so grateful that you offer that opportunity um, because I was going to be telling people about it no matter what. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so any last um, advice, tidbits that you would like to share before we say goodbye? Yeah. I mean, I think wherever it is, it's all about making a decision wherever you are on this journey, right? Of like what you know, what's your next step to really gaining control of the money aspect. And, and I think that usually starts with just deciding, right? Like just deciding, okay, like now is the time I will say that one of the things, you know, it's one of the things that people put off the most, right? Finances is one of the things that always feels like there are things that are more pressing and there are things that are more interesting or sexier, right? Like we'd rather learn like the let's, let's do a course on Instagram reels. That feels more fun, right? Like there, there are so many different options, but ultimately if you put finances first and then, and have your finances dialed in, right? Like, you know, your profit margins, you've got everything running, making you a profit. Then when you scale up your business and you scale up those marketing efforts and you do those more fun things, right? Or things that feel fun, you're going to see better results from it, right? So you're going to, it's going to amplify the results of everything else that you do when you start with finances. And like I said, I, I like to joke about how it's not fun, but we really do try to bring fun to it as much as we can and make it easy. So it's not like so scary and intimidating. <laughs> we I actually say uh, that, that what makes it fun is I, I got the, um, the physical Yep. book and just like buying like fancy pens to write in it. I'm just, I'm a slut for good, uh, office supplies. And that was really satisfying. Yes. We love a physical book too. I feel like there's something different. It feels like, yes. it feels like a textbook kind of, but it's pretty. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a way to make it a little less daunting. I will say. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We like to send fun things in the mail. So that's part of what we do. <laughs> Also, yeah, we won't spoil anything, yes. but also the, the mail is fun. Yes. <laughs> well, Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat feminist finance with us. And yes, feminist finance. I am, like I said, so grateful that you are out in this world doing this work because it's so important. And I hope that anyone listening to this, anyone joining us today just checks out what you do and at least gives you a follow. Yeah. Go follow Jamie Troll. Links are going to be in our show notes. I've got links in the Zoom chat as well. So be sure to check them all out. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Renee, for having me. I also love what you do. So it's the perfect like pairing. Oh, thank you. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature. Creature.